Hey guys, welcome back to the Millionaire Marriage Podcast. This is Taylor Kovar with Jeremy Gilliam. And today we're very excited to have one of my good friends, Joe Caesar, who is the founder of Legacy Institute for Financial Education. Uh, Joe is an amazing guy. He's here in Lufkin. And a few months ago, um, some of our team were at a local event and they heard Joe speak and they came back and said, Taylor, have you heard of Joe Caesar? You have got to interview this guy for the podcast. And I was like, man, me and Joe are boys. Like we go way back. <laughs> and he's like, well, he talked about financial PTSD, which I think would flow really great with our listeners. And so uh, we came back, hollered at Joe, finally got our schedules to align. And Joe, thank you so much for being here. No today. problem. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So Joe, uh, to start off with, just tell us about yourself. Tell us your, tell us your story, who you are, you married, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, yeah. Joe Caesar. I am from Houston and graduated and went to West Point, United States Military Academy at West Point. Wow. Served there, ended up getting a degree in all, of all subjects, American politics. Was, I'm sorry. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> American politics. And then um, I was assigned to a, a Patriot, Patriot missile unit in El Paso, Texas, Fort Bliss, right when 9-11 happened. So I graduated in June of 2001. And then obviously 9-11 occurred and we knew we were going to go to war. Um, so I was deployed in February of 2003 and then returned home back in June of 2003. And during that experience, I was actually diagnosed with PTSD, um, given some of the things that that occurred over there. So this subject of financial PTSD is near and dear to my heart because it's it's a it's an entirely different way to view that problem. Yeah. But I will tell you that I got into finance because I had a classmate of mine who told me that he was going to work for Merrill Lynch. At that point, I had no idea who Merrill or Lynch was. So <laughs> I found out that it was a financial services firm. And then I realized that there's a lot of people, in, at least in my community, that didn't know who or what they were. So that was my interest in finance. Fast forward almost 20 years and and here I am and I'm helping people understand money and helping people understand the dynamics of the psychology of money uh, so that people can make better financial decisions. And financial PTSD is one of those barriers that a lot of people have to overcome. And I, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, definitely. And Joe, how you and I met, when we first got together and chatted, I was telling people, our producer and team off air, that we were finishing each other's sentences. Like the first time we met, it was like, hey, so you believe, well, I believe that my favorite book, your favorite book. And Joe is underplaying, I know it sounds like amazing life already, but he's underplaying all the other achievements this guy has, right? So he's also a preacher. He's also helped run hedge funds. He's also had his own financial firms. And he has turned this ministry of helping others learn financial literacy and break the cycle of debt and poverty and he's not just talking it he is walking the walk and so i can't brown you enough you've got to go to the legacy institute for financial education i've got to plug it we're gonna plug it later as well but i gotta <laughs> plug it now as well because um, i was actually on this board for a little while yeah. it is an amazing uh foundation if you're looking for somewhere to donate or to volunteer definitely check them out that's my little side plug we'll we'll add more to the notes <laughs> later but yeah joe so tell us how you stumbled across financial ptsd where this idea came from we talk a lot about financial personalities and and um, financial infidelity on here but financial ptsd is one that's kind of under the radar I, I haven't haven't really it's not broad or mainstream yet so. right so to understand financial ptsd i think first you need to understand what ptsd is post-traumatic stress disorder so it's some trauma that you you undergo um, and usually it's some kind of sustained trauma. So, for example, going to a war, you don't have to really experience anything traumatic in the war. Just being present at the war is traumatic because somewhere and, and I can share my experience with you somewhere from the time that you board the plane, knowing that you're going to war, you come to grips with the fact that you may not come home. Mm -hmm. So that by itself is traumatic. 
Um, and then being out there for months away from the people who love you, away from your support system. Um, and you're in a strange land and people around you don't like you. Even while we were in Kuwait, um, people didn't like us because we were Christian for the most part. So mm. you have Christians in the middle of a place where it's almost illegal to carry around a Bible. Right. So you have to deal with all that. That's that's traumatic. And, you know, the the way trauma occurs is that when you have some type of sustained stressor, the psychological word for it is a stressor, then that's going to affect you. And it's also going also going to affect how you make decisions. So, for example, even now, I don't like my back to the door because of what I experienced in Iraq. I mean, even now, um, wow. dreams that I had, um, it's much better now. But when I, as soon as I got home, I would live out dreams from from the war. I, I was standing on top of the bed one time thinking that I was on top of a launcher, like fixing something. So the, it's unimaginable how it can affect people. So now when you convert that to finances, if someone can't pay their bills for three consecutive months and that is a stressor, you're thinking that you're a failure. You're thinking that, you know, what what am I going to do tomorrow if you're a bre the breadwinner of your family? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not providing for my family. My kids are going to be homeless. My kids are going to be hungry. You have all these different things psychologically that you're deal, dealing with. And then you have to go to work every day and pretend like nothing is, is wrong. Your credit score. If you're a 500 credit score, that could also be depressing because it takes seven years at least to, to really fix it. Yeah. So th when you have a sustained type of financial stressor, that affects how you make decisions. So now I don't care about not paying my bills because there's nothing I can do. It's, it's capitulation. I just give up mm. just like some war veterans who come, come home. I can't succeed. I'm just going to give up. That's why a lot of veterans are homeless. They just don't care anymore. So with financial PTSD, that's one of the, the, the things that will occur. I don't pay my bills anymore. I get extremely stressed out. A lot of people suffer from depression. A lot of people don't want to go outside because they can't pay their bills because they think their neighbors know that something is going on. It's just a weird, weird thing. Wow. And Jeremy, you you were talking off air that um, during your marriage family therapist licensing process and school process, you actually worked with a lot of veterans um, yeah. from the Iraq war. And so how 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 are some of these similarities from a therapist standpoint feel? Yeah, no, I, I when he's listening, I'm going, absolutely. I could totally, I could, obviously I've not heard the term financial PTSD, but when you start labeling and discussing what PTSD is first and then detailing how an inability to provide for yourself can be a very traumatic experience. I think that's kind of the key to understand is you can get PTSD for a lot of reasons. Tra traumas, obviously, specifically and going to war, things like that. But then the thought process, because I grew up and you don't know this, obviously, Joe, but I grew up very, very, very poor, um, come from an extremely, extremely broken family. I grew up in, in the ghetto in um, Pontiac, Michigan. And so like, I totally, like, what you're saying, like, I'm like, like I'm totally connecting with it. It makes total sense. So how did you come across the idea behind financial PTSD? So um, as a part of my job, um, I try to help people solve their problems. Obviously I can't, there's really very few problems that I can solve. Um, but I, I am a firm believer that with the help of God, most of these problems we can, we can solve most of them. Yeah. Um, so I'm constantly researching, not just the symptoms we in finances and Taylor, you know, just like I know, we deal a lot with the symptoms. Um, mm. Last month, my husband made a bad decision. He went to the boat in, in, in Louisiana and lost oh, all the man. money. And then you deal with the And I didn't even know he had that account financial mm -hmm. adultery. Right. So yeah. I, so we deal with the symptoms of the problem. But 
you know, at, at Legacy Institute, one of the things that we try to do is find out why. Yeah. Why did he open up a separate account? Or why did she do this? What was going on? Why did they feel like they had to 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 make a decision in isolation, not involve the family yeah. and yeah. make a selfish yeah. decision? Something psychologically was going on. Oh, he didn't feel like his life was good enough. Huh. Why did he not feel like his life was good enough? But because in his childhood, that's the way he, he grew up. And so you start addressing what really is the problem. Um, so I've been researching and trying to figure out what is going on from a psychological standpoint. And we've got a social worker on our staff. Her name is Santa Cruz. And she that's a part of social work. Like you're trying to address these these problems. So I was researching um, some of these issues. And then I came across a term. Uh, someone wrote a thesis, a, a dissertation on financial PTSD. And I started researching it and finding multiple articles and multiple, um, you know, from different fields, from the psychology field, from yeah. the financial services field, different people who contributed to the subject, educated myself. And I'm like, ah, I get it. Because as someone being diagnosed with regular PTSD yeah. or war PTSD, I'm thinking, well, that makes a lot of sense. So that's how that happened. Wow. That's an incredible story to get to get to that point. So so I think kind of you're dealing with both sides. You're dealing with the symptoms of, of financial PTSD, but then you're also dealing with the root cause of how we got here. So what has been, from your estimation, what has been effective in treating the symptom, but then also treating the root, the root cause? Because when you're talking, I'm going, man, this, this guy's doing good therapy with these people. <laughs> well, honestly, I've not found something that is effective. I mean... Someone told me, um, and he was uh, one of my Bible school teachers, he said, there's not many things that would cause a person to change. Usually it's something traumatic. For example, I lost my mother, so I want a closer relationship with God. Right? Yeah. But usually that is all very emotional. It's emotionalism. Sure, and then sure, six months sure, later, sure. they're back to doing whatever they, yeah, they were doing. Right. So I, I, honestly, I, do, I don't have a solution to the problem. Yeah. Um, it just helps me identify. Yeah. And then I, I begin to ask more questions about childhood. Yeah. circle of influence like what what has caused you to be this way and you know in my research what i realized was that financial ptsd um if you catch it soon just like regular ptsd you yeah. can you can generally deal with that a lot better than generational poverty which is actually not we we talk about generational poverty as if it's a state of being generational poverty yeah. is a mindset it, it's yeah. it's That's true. multiple generations so imagine yeah. now Instead stuff. of you not being able to pay your bills for three, three months, you grow up in a household yeah. where not paying your bills is normal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, like it, your family of origin. Correct. That does that. Yeah. We use that term a lot yeah, here yeah, on the show. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah. That is exactly right. Lingo. So if you have a, a culture now yeah. of um, financial PTSD and that's just the way you grew up, you don't know any different. You think that's normal behavior. And I'll give an example. It's a funny example. I use it from the pulpit a lot. We talk about white lies and things like that. Well, the bill collector calls and you tell your kid, tell them I'm not home. But you're sitting right there. So you're teaching your children to lie. It's okay to huh. lie to bill collectors. I have no respect for the people that I owe money to. All these psycholo psychological Man. behaviors. So now when you grow up, guess what? Tell them I'm not home. Like that's just the way we do it. So that those that's financial trauma. And, yeah. and they don't even realize it. So in therapy, we, we deal with people living in dysfunctional patterns and trying to move away from it, but they go back to it because it's what's normal. It's Correct. what's comfortable. And so you have people that grow up in very poor environments and that type of functioning, the whole, even just the, yeah, the, the, the little white lie of to tell them I'm not here. <laughs> 
and that type of functioning then becomes so normal. And what, what it's like, man, this, there's a better way to live than, than having to deal with the regular trauma of not being able to pay your bills or not being an honest person. And so it's just, it's crazy when I like thinking about that is, and, and how, how there can be like generational poverty or even, even how these ideas can be passed down. This is what I do in family therapy all the time. I mean, we deal with family of origin. That's literally what I love. So when you're talking, I'm like, man, this guy's a great, yeah. he's going to be a great therapist. So, cause that's what we, that's what, that's what I do. And so I'm just seeing how like the, the connection here of, of how this type of trauma can be influenced and replicated in your kids if you don't get control of this, if you Correct. don't figure out how to make this work for you. Right. Because the the alternative then is I'm I'm gonna pass this type of behavior, what I'm like the stress that I'm under of not paying my bills, of avoiding bill collectors, of not honoring my word, of saying, hey, I'll, I'm gonna borrow a thousand dollars, I'm gonna give you a thousand back. And how not only is this affecting me now that I start to deal with the effects of PTSD, right? Waking up dreams of the bill collector calling and not having enough money waking up or, you know, not knowing how we're going to pay for dinner the next week. But then I'm passing along the behavior that led me to this point then to my kids. Correct. And then if they're not careful, then they'll pass that along to their kids. And then how this absolutely becomes generational and it's startling. And it's, um, again, I'm, 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 I'm filtering through a lot of thoughts, even in my own childhood and how, how easy it is, how extremely easy it is to fall into that trap because it's, uh, it's always, I always saw mom do this. My mom was a crack. I'm just being honest. My mom was a crackhead and stealing. And I mean, she went to prison for identity theft for three years. And so watching that type of behavior, if you're not careful, it's okay. The only way to make a quick buck is to do something wrong. And then you can fall into that. Well, I can't pay my bills or I can't feed my kids. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to do that. And then, but like, I can't pay my bills. So then I start doing things that I know I'm going to regret, which causes more trauma. Correct. Well, how do you know, Joe, how do you discuss those people? Because, you know, how we grew up is how we grew up, yeah. right? That's our normal. That's our common. So, you know, I was thinking of an example just the other day here at the house. My kids were cleaning something up and they grabbed a bunch of paper towels and they like, you know, put three drops of water on it and threw it away. And I'm like, <laughs> we, we don't waste paper towels, right? Because that's how I grew up. Like, paper towels were right, made right. of gold at my house, right? Phyllis, you know, it's the truth, right? And so paper towels were gold. And so to see my kids like just throw it away, it was like, oh, I mean, mine was blown. That this is not it. And I had to check myself and say, well, I mean, I'm a different person than my parents were. Yeah. How do you get people to realize that like yeah. this isn't normal? I, I don't say normal. This isn't um, healthy behavior. Yeah. Like how, so how does that conversation even come about? This there is um there's an organization called Pew uh, Pew Research. Yeah, and they put out a lot of studies on a, ver- a variety of subjects. Finances is one of them. And m- one of the things that I realized through studying this is early on in Legacy's um, life cycle, year one, 2014. This is the research that we got, and that's how we made the decision that we're going to tie biblical principles into our our work in in Legacy Institute. The people that generally suffer the most and suffer from most uh, PTSD financially are people that are extremely uh, dedicated to their faith. Irony. Usually people in poverty, believe it or not, they have stronger ties to church and things like that. Wow. Um, Doesn't necessarily mean that they follow it, but they (laughs) attend, they attend, right? So uh, what I help people to do is I I try to uh, gently uh, bring them back to 
what they they know and believe, but it oftentimes are, are not really discussed in church. So, for example, sure. we will go to Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he gets older, he won't depart from it. Yeah. You know, stealing uh, paper towels and things like that. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's part of it. But then the very next verse, Proverbs 22 and 7 says, the rich ruleth over the poor and a borrower is servant to the lender, yeah. or a slave to the lender. So I tie those two together. So when you train up your children or when you were trained up as a child, what financial behaviors with regarding the debt yeah. and, and things like that were you taught? And what are you teaching your children? And then I point out to them the scripture that says, the wicked borroweth and repayeth not again. Mm. So were you aware that that was in the Bible? No, I wasn't. We, no one ever taught us this. Now, you've been in, in church for 40 years, and no one ever showed you that paying your bills, not paying your bills is a sin. I mean, obviously, if you can't pay because you don't have the money, that's different than choosing not to pay. Um, so, and they're like, no, I, I, never, I never thought about it that way. So then I bring up the parable with Jesus when he had the man who owed 10,000 talents and then he begged for mercy and then the master gave it to him. Mm -hmm. But then he had his fellow servant that only owed a fraction of what he owed, yeah. um, but he wasn't willing to forgive. So then the master called the, the first one back and said, I, when you asked me to show you mercy, I actually forgave it. But then you didn't do that for your fellow men. So I use that as an example to show the consequences of not paying their debt. Second Kings chapter four and verse one is a very, very interesting story about a woman who was a widow. Her husband had died, but he owed money, yes. um, but she couldn't pay his debt. So the, the creditor comes and he's like, you can't pay your debt. So give me your two sons to be slaves. So do you realize like the impact that you're having? And just because the consequences are different in this day and age doesn't mean that the spiritual consequences are any different. So then they're convicted, right? And they're, they're, you could just see it in their yeah. eyes. Like I've offended yeah. not just uh, Southside Bank, <laughs> yeah. but I've offended God in my behavior. And that, that helps uh, with these conversations. They're like, hey, now, now what do I need to do? So um, it's, it's, but like I said earlier, 30 days later, they're still, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's a challenge. But yeah. I believe that in some cases it's a spiritual issue. Some cases it's not. Some cases depression is involved and, sure, and they need other sure, other sure. forms of treatment. But I I, I start there. Yeah. Uh, I I bring out the the scripture uh, if they allow me to, yeah. and allow the I, I believe uh, the word of God won't won't return void. So Joe's over here throwing haymakers. <laughs> I go wow, that's that's some good stuff. And I could definitely see like when you confront people, especially especially believers that have been in church 30, 40 years right. and you confront them with the book they say they believe in. And then you go, okay, well let me show you this. Then this is what you say you, you believed. That's correct. And then I think at that point they're they're you're forced to do something with it. And, uh, and this is what we do, right? I mean, you, this is so interesting. I'm just, there's a lot of connections between what you're doing and what we do in therapy. We, we create little mini crises mm -hmm. and then people inevitably have to do something. They have to either go, I, I can either do something about what I see or turn away and forget. Yeah. And so I think, how many people do you work with that when they go, man, I've really been messing up, actually do something about it? Are you like 50%, 60%? Less. Less than that? Yes. Wow. I would say 10 to 20%. 10 to 20% actually yes. do something about what they see. But, right. So there, there are different types of clients. There are clients okay. who they're trying. They just don't know how, mm -hmm. right? I don't put them in the same category. 
Right. So I'm trying, but I don't know how that just means you've never been taught, which yeah. I know uh, Taylor, when we met, when we met um, and I think you're still involved with junior achievement. You have efforts to try to engage uh, children at an earlier age yeah. with this information. But most of us were never taught. Sure. Um, how many of us graduated from from high school knowing how to accomplish the American dream? Like, did you know what a HUD one was when you graduated from high school? No. <laughs> yeah. no. Did you know what your credit score needed to be? No. To okay, right. so we didn't know any of that, right? Yeah. So they just don't know how. So I put them in a cap- different category. But then there's the people who can, who can but won't. That's different, right? So you you have money, but you choose not to pay your bills. So then now I engage you on the spiritual yeah. Um, perspective. If, if again, if that's a part of your life, I'm yeah. not going to force it on anybody. Sure. But if that's a part of your life, did you understand what this meant? Or as Jesus says, have you not read? And, and I would engage them on that. For example, Ecclesiastes seven and one, a good name is rather to be had. Right. Yeah. Do you know that like, it's going to be very difficult for you to evangelize a minister to that man in the glass box at the Ford dealership. If he pulls your credit and you got a, a 450 credit oh, score, man, and Speak then you say, out. well, come to my, come, come, come to my church, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, your reputation is now, financial reputation is now um, integrated with your credit score. And people come, every time you file, you're, you apply for car insurance or renew for car insurance credit score. You, you try to get electricity turned on. They're going to pull your credit. So now a lot of people know that you don't pay your bills. Is that the what that the life of a believer? Because I remember Jesus saying, "Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works." Yeah. So that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. Are they glorifying God now because of your credit score? Absolutely not. So that's that's how we engage. And and again, sometimes it's effective, sometimes it's not. But it, of the small group of people that we have to engage that way, I would say maybe a ten percent, twenty percent response. Wow. Man. But is that any different than than church? Yeah, than right. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah you I think mean, about you it. look right. across everything else. Um, right. Yeah, and very few people actually do something, and that's what we talk a lot on here about. You know, doing trying is better than not. Like, just try. Like, even even if you're yeah. not, even if you're not a hundred percent right. So my one of my daughters is very much a perfectionist, and so if she doesn't get it right the first time, she's done. She hates it. Like, never wants to do it again. But we have to try, right? So getting out there and just doing something, working on it taking classes like legacy offers or life offers, um, learning about some of these things. I've, I read a quick um, article before we got started that said they, some big research group, did a survey and that 36% of millennials suffer from financial PTSD. Yeah. 36%. Yeah. Of millennials. Of millennials. Of millennials, of millennials yeah. right? Suffer from it. And they don't realize it, but... But, you know, wow. PTSD, some of that, some of diagnostic criteria for PTSD is, you know, denial, avoidance, hypervigilance, nightmares. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's on yeah. your brain all the time. And we just think, oh, well, this is just part of life. Right. You know, I mean, you think of all the memes and stuff we've seen online now, they're like, you know, hey, I'm glad that you had World War II, but we went through, you know, three financial collapses, two wars and, you know, COVID, right? All before we're 22, these millennials have. And so they're suffering from this and, and one don't know it and two there's not resources out there for them to really capitalize on and, and if you look at the millennials um from a, from an economist perspective in economics they have a different name um they are forming what they're calling now the gig economy mm-hmm. right so you have these these young people that you know i'm my generation i'm an ex ennial right so if you're born between 1979 and 1982 81, you can kind of both go both ways. You're a millennial and a generation X. Well, I'm the oldest possible millennial. 
Um, so I'm completely different than my older brother. I'm the baby. So I'm completely different in like social media and stuff like that. But when you look at the millennials, they are my, my generation. If I'm speaking from the generation X side. We're the last generation that we're going to be on the job for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's just not how the millennials view things. It's like, um, I got my income tax so I can quit my job <laughs> for about a good three months. Oh, right. Man. Or I get yeah. this stimulus check. I don't need to go to work anymore. Like yeah. we would view that as a windfall. Well, let me see what I can invest in. Let me see what debt I can pay down. Something that's going to be lasting, not the millennials. They're like, okay, today I have, you know, in some cases I, I've got a single mother with seven children, $12,000 coming her way. Okay. So what am I going to do with $12,000? I'm going to quit my job right now. I'm going to go on a vacation because I've never been on one. Um, I'm going to buy a new car, right? Three months later, money's gone. Now let me go find a job. That's, that's how it works. Or wow. I'll just, I'll just not show up to work because I don't need the money. So take me off the schedule. I don't need the money right now. I'm good. And then I'll come back when I need the money. That's why uh, the government is trying to find a way to tr get people back to employment. I, I believe all the stimulus money didn't really help our economy. COVID-19 and Absolutely. all of that didn't really help yeah. our economy. It fed right into this deep psychological modus operandi of freedom in the millennials. Yeah. And now they don't want to go back to work. The great resignation. They're like, yeah. we're done. Unless I can work from home, I'm not going to work. The government will take care well, of me. <laughs> I think what is it's catching, it caught me off guard that it's millennials. And so I'm, I am like the epitome of millennial. We don't talk about generation Z. Uh, if you talk about generation <laughs> Z, uh, generation Z is an entirely different breed. Even from yeah. the millennials yeah. and those who clash, believe it or not, I've seen it. I've witnessed it in my in front of my eyes. Well, oh. yeah, I can't stand any of the ones that I've employed. So, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding guys. All, I'm just kidding. I, I think what's crazy though is like I'm a I'm a millennial. I was born in '89. I'm 32 years old, and it is shocking that there's that many of people that are around my age. I mean, we're not talking about people in their 40s, 50s, 60s. We're talking about people in their 30s, people in their late 20s, 30s. I'm not sure when, when millennial stops in 91, 92. Millennial stop? Um, 95? I don't remember. I believe it's 95, 94. 94. 94. And so you have people that are in their, their 30s, late 20s that are suffering. And I wonder how many of them have just never been taught. They don't have a place like Legacy that they can go to, that they can, they can get some, like some actual practical tools. And I think this is kind of where, I think this is where schools fail us. Yeah, what you're saying, right. Graduating high school, I had no clue. I mean, our family, we're, we're very, very budget people. We are debt-free people. I learned that by not being able to sleep at night because of how much debt I was in. Right. And so it took a massive crisis for me to wake up. Right. And it's, it's like, how do we help people then not get to that point where they are so messed up that they have to, it's sink or swim at this point. Right. They have to do something. I think that's where people like you, Joe, are coming in and going, there's a better way to do this than what you're doing now. There is. And, and I'll, I'm going to give you an example of financial PTSD that you never thought of. And, and this, this guy is, we probably are all disciples of him um, in a roundabout way. Dave Ramsey. <laughs> yeah. Love Dave Ramsey. Yeah, that, we, we did Dave's program. Yeah. So Dave Ramsey, um, what caused him to become Dave Ramsey? Right. You're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. He became bankrupt. He did all of this real estate work, became bankrupt, traumatized him, yeah. family in jeopardy. Now, if you speak of debt in his presence, 
you're going to get kicked out of the room. <laughs> right. I, I know employees who work for him that someone said I had a credit card. They fired. He fired him. He, he is not just like the, <laughs> like the, goodness. no, no, I'm, I'm being, real. I'm being wow. serious. Yeah. He, he fired someone when he found out that there, that, that one of his uh, employees had a credit card. He fired him. And he, like, the Bible talks about, um, you know, pulling someone out of the fire, not having your garment stained. That's the way he feels about debt. All of that is a result of financial yeah. trauma. Yeah, you're exactly right. And we're watching it before our very eyes. Somebody needs to help him. Yeah. No, and I, I like I, I'm glad you brought him up because we do a lot of business owners right in our business. And that's kind of we brought Jeremy on um, into our investment firm because we needed somebody to, to speak to the business owners because we had. You know, the man that was maybe running the business day in, day out, and the wife never knew anything that was going on. Um, and he was hiding debts that shouldn't have hit or making investments that shouldn't or vice versa. Right. And we needed a way to, for them to communicate better. And we we see this dream of the side hustle and the entrepreneur, yes. right? Yeah. Hashtag yeah. entrepreneur, you know, and, and this hustle culture we just did an episode yeah. on. And honestly, there's a ton of trauma that yes. goes into being a, an entrepreneur. Yes. I, Having I, that lifestyle is extremely stressful. You know, as we were talking about financial BTS, you know, I was getting ready for this episode and I was reading through stuff. I was like, okay, so that explains those couple <laughs> of years of when I did that. And like, okay, that's why I live on four hours sleep because that's what I'm used to now. Right. That's like correct. I'm, I'm suffering from some of those things that we went through starting. It's scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. It is. You never want to go back there. Now imagine ever. that in a nonprofit atmosphere. <laughs> Nonprofit, right? And so it, for me to leave managing hedge funds, you know, we've got boatloads of money in the bank. We can go a year without making anything. We could pay all of our employees. It wasn't that big of a deal to transitioning to the nonprofit world where that's not the case, right? Yeah. So that was terrifying. Yeah, completely for, opposite ends of the spectrum. And we're financial literacy, yeah. right? <laughs> so it's just, it's a, it, all of us, at, at, probably at some point in our lives, unless we've been, we're maybe trust fund babies or something like that, all of us are going to experience financial trauma to some degree. Um, all of us are going to have, we're going to have memories. Like I remember my first credit card, it was a Discover card in college and didn't have a way to pay for it. That was traumatizing. So then I started thinking credit cards bad, right? They're, they're against me when they're really they're, they're not. But we have these types of uh, relationships um, and, and the, going back to the gig economy, Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Like most mm -hmm. of the people that come through my door, they they now know, understand that we help small businesses get started. So they they want to become entrepreneurs. They don't want to work for anybody anymore. Um, so now they see that as a viable option. During the idle loan and payroll protection program loans, people were coming up with businesses just so they can get the money, and then they try to start a business that way. Which obviously we didn't help them do that. Unethical, immoral, but. That that's what's going on now. You have a, an entirely new breed of entrepreneurs and they don't really understand the trauma because being an entrepreneur is like jumping out of a plane with no parachute. There is there's that Batman episode. Um, I'm not sure if y'all are fans of Batman, but yeah, I, I like Batman. Yes. So there is that 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 episode with Bane um, mm -hmm. uh, or the movie with Bane. And in order for him to get out of that hole, he had to jump without the string. That's the life of an entrepreneur. Um, you jump without without the string, and it's yeah. scary. And it could be very rewarding, or it could be um, extremely traumatic to the family. And it, your wife had to, my wife, our wives had to put up with that, right? All of us, all of us can relate, especially if you're an yeah. entrepreneur. If I talk to your wife, I'm pretty sure she was like, I, I didn't want to. Oh yeah, she's nodding over there, <laughs> like she's she's nodding big time, no doubt. I mean, it was extremely 
uh, traumatic at times, right? Where we're sitting there saying, well, we're putting all our blood, sweat, and tears into this business. I mean, literally every ounce of our being into this business, and we're still trying to raise kids, and we're still trying to have, have a healthy, healthy marriage, and we're still trying to do what we need to do socially to help the community, but we're drowning over here ourselves, and there's nobody to reach out to, right? There's yeah. nobody to really talk to, and every day it's a, you know, I, I could tell you there for probably a year and a half, two years, how many hours I had until I had to make payroll. You know, how many hours it was going to be till payroll time. I mean, where that money was going to come from and praying that it came in. Right. You know, somebody would pay their their right. bill on time. And that's what we got really stringent on. Like, we're only working on people that pay up front. Right. You know, or you pay right. 50% up front and 50% in the end because we, we've we got to make payroll. And it, it took a long time to get through that. And a lot of people don't. You know, they don't get through it. But we still live with some of the after effects of it. And so um, before we end, right, give us, tell us a little bit about uh, legacy in life. Um, tell people how they can they can reach out to you. Uh, we will definitely have you back because I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> Absolutely, so you're going to, we're going to free our schedules up and do this again. Um, but give us a little plug for for life real fast. So first of all, if you go to our website legacy-institute.org and then go to the what we do uh, tab, then it will give you more than I can give you right now. But I will just tell you that our overall mission is to uh, teach financial literacy, create economic stability, and build generational wealth. Uh, we do that just simply by financially empowering people. Uh, we have programs where we can help you build your credit, learn how to budget, uh, calculate your net worth. Um, we've helped people buy houses. When I say help them, we get their credit where it needs to be. We have relationships with banks. Um, and we also have down payment assistance programs. We've got um, training. And one of the things I realized is hard to help someone learn how to budget if they're not making any money. So we have uh, workforce development programs, um, life tech if you want to go into IT, we have a community garden. Uh, we have Life Empowerment Fund now, which is a loan program to help people refinance themselves out of payday loans um, and things like that. And believe it or not, Texas has the highest payday lending rate uh, in the nation, 677% on average. So we also have uh, uh, an apprenticeship <laughs> I threw, I program. I threw up a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. That, I don't know how, that noise you heard. That should be illegal. Yes, it's usury uh, yeah. based on scripture. But um, so... Anything that we can do to help people um, and empower them financially with knowledge, with tools, with those things, that's what we do. And we work with youth. We work with adults. We are about to have a formalized relationship with Angelina College um, to where we can provide services to the students and staff over there. Um, it's, it's just fun. I enjoy waking up every day and doing this. This is wonderful. Well, we have thoroughly enjoyed you being here. Uh, listeners, we'll have all those notes in our show notes, so go check it out or on our social media, um, and you can connect with Joe that way and everything you have. So even though we talk a lot about Lufkin and Angelina County here in Deep East Texas, no matter where you're listening from, they're happy to help. So reach Absolutely. out to them, uh, reach out to us, and we'll point you in the right direction. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Thank guys. you.